Listen to them speak. Listen to them talk. CNS podcast. When you sit, run or walk. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNS Podcast, broadcasted by the Department of Clinical Neuroscience at Karolinska Institutet. Uh, my name is Anders Irfors, and today my guests are Pia Stensland and Nitya Jaram Lindström. Welcome. Thank you, Anders. Thank you, Anders. How does it feel to be here? Great. <laughs> Glad to be here to tell a bit about our research. Yeah. And maybe Pia can start by introducing yourself and c- how come you're here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a pharmacist by training and I've been at Karolinska since uh, 2008. So I'm an associate professor. And um, I think just the drive with me as a researcher is that I want to uh, help people in some sense to get them somehow improve their lives. <laughs> I did my thesis in Uppsala on anabolic steroids, trying to find... Uh, Uh, what's happening in the brain and uh, connect that to behavior. But now I switched to alcohol. Yeah. Mm. And why did you do that switch? It was actually during my postdoc in uh, California. Um, I was there because my husband, he had a postdoc. So I was actually home with kids for three and a half years. And then um, my fingers started to itch. You know, <laughs> I want to do some <laughs> research again. And then I... I actually just looked around in the area, in the Bay Area, around San Francisco, to see if there were any institutes there that I liked. And I uh, found one called the Ernest Gallo Clinical Research Center. And uh, they had a focus on alcohol and drug addiction. So it was actually from, actually just a coincidence, but it, it fell into my um, interest because it's it's a huge uh, area where we can do big improvement by getting new medications and such. And and you, Nitya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I've been at Karolinska since the last 15 years. I did my did my PhD and postdoc and everything after at this institute. So I've been here for a long time, and and I started off with my focus in my PhD on uh, amphetamine dependence, which is a psychostimulant similar to cocaine, and we looked at uh, treat developing uh, treatments for amphetamine dependence, and uh, that was the focus for seven years. And after that, as Pia said. Um, I also shifted, like similar to UPA, to alcohol dependence, but have a, a combined platform where we looked at both amphetamine and alcohol dependence and also bringing forward uh, treatments uh, for the indication of alcohol dependence as well. So that's been my yeah story here. Yeah, And, and why did you get into research? Um, I was actually also quite coincidental. I'm by training a clinical psychologist and I come from India. And uh, my first internship was actually in the Department of Neurology when I was a master's student in India. And um, a majority of the patients who were coming there that were being referred to us psychologists for for counseling had a problem with uh, heavy drinking. And we were uh, doing a lot of testing to look at cognitive performance in correlation with heavy drinking. And I started working with that population first and was very interested in that. And after I finished my training in India, I moved to the to the States, to Chicago. And there I actually started focusing on working with a population that was primarily dependent on cocaine. And uh, and then we had some with opiate dependence as well. 
but doing clinical work for from the age of i don't know 20 to when i started my phd i felt um there was no bridge in connection in what was happening in the brain and and the biology um and then that was why my interest in combining it with research so that's how it happened and yeah and so could you tell me a little bit about your area of research Mm-hmm. So we already mentioned it's alcohol yes. and what we want to try to do is to find uh, identify and evaluate new medications to to treat alcohol dependence because it's actually um it's quite a large patient group that today doesn't have adequate treatment and we actually have about one million Swedish people that drink uh, so much or excessive amount that they're risking negative health effects and about 300 350,000 of those are actually dependent so um and the m- treatments out there today is not it's not really uh, that effective as we would have hoped so we are trying to to make some improvement in 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 that field and and how much do you need to drink to to be considered drinking excessive amounts mm-hmm. so there are some guidelines of course it's it's you know from person to person but social studies have made up some guidelines um t- to have some some uh, something to relate to and um they say for for male it's if you drink more than 14 glass of alcohol a standard glass like one glass of wine or beer or uh, liquor 14 per week if yep. you're male or uh, nine glasses per week if you're female so if you drink above that amount uh you actually risk getting negative health effects or uh, developing dependence yeah and you mentioned your area research can you tell me a little bit uh, more specifically about what you work on right now mm-hmm. so t- well, what we are doing is we want to um relate to the disease what is actually happening in the brain because it is um in contrast to what many people believe it's not a lack of character um we we feel a lot of research the last few years shows that it actually have um uh, changes in in neurotransmitters in the brain and one of those uh that are um the main main neurotransmitter so to say in in addiction is dopamine So in uh, 2009 I initiated a uh, collaboration with the Nobel laureate Arvid Karlsson. And uh, Arvid he actually got the uh, Nobel prize for uh, discovering dopamine in the brain. He has developed some interesting compounds targeting the dopamine system. And within addiction the dopamine is very interesting target because in the acute phase when you drink alcohol you get an increase of dopamine which makes you feel euphoria and you you kind of get a high but with the progressing uh, progression of the disease within the brain you get a down regulation of the dopamine system so rather than drinking to get the the high uh, you kind of get an uh, urge to drink to uh, prevent feeling uh, bad or anhedonia so t- kind of the dopamine is involved in that sense <coughs> so that's um um so we, we are interested in one of one of his compounds that he developed and uh, we use a translational uh, method to to evaluate uh, this particular compound called OSU 6162 
So what do you mean when you say translational study mm? or method? Method. Yes. So what we were doing, we were trying to bridge over from uh, preclinical, that is the animal uh, studies, over to human studies. And within psychiatry, alcohol dependence is quite unique because you can actually model this disease in, in animal models. Uh, which is quite different to depression or schizophrenia or such like that. What you can do in animal models is that you kind of break down the different characteristics of alcohol dependence. That is excessive drinking, voluntarily drinking. We look at that, what happens uh, in, in the rat as we use, what happens in the brains uh, over a long time. And you can also look at different um, motivational aspects. You let the animal press a lever to get access. How hard is it willing to work? And you can also look at different relapse um, phases. Yeah. And then, Nitya, maybe you can tell a little about, bit about uh, human studies mm -hmm. that have been used here. Absolutely. So as Pia mentioned, I mean, one of the uh, important aspects in medication development is this translational methods where you can test the compounds from bench and bringing to the clinic. And I think, um, Pia, you alluded to that, but I, our research group at Karolinska is uniquely placed in that, that we are both preclinical and clinical researchers in the same in the same research group. So we evaluated Pia's uh, compound, OSU6162, which is collaborating with Arvid Carlson. Based on your animal results, we took it to the human studies. And in clinical studies, you have, you have different phases in medication development or evaluation. Uh, phase one to phase four. But I think in relevance to this discussion we are having, it's important to mention that one of the methods in clinical studies is what is called a human laboratory method, where we are looking at specific questions on what is the effect of this medication? Is it safe to use it in humans? And is it, all, is it so in other ways, do, do, can we look at any side effects? And can we detect any effect on some of the important alcohol use outcomes? For example, in this study would be, does it reduce craving? Does it reduce uh, the high of drinking and specific questions? And then if you see some effect on this model, then you would take it into what's called a clinical trial. But now we have collaborated with Pia in doing a human laboratory study. Yeah. And you mentioned the results. What, what are those? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, we actually do have some quite nice results. And um, we published already in 2012 um, the first set of animal studies. And we could see that it indeed decreased voluntary drinking um, in rats without a decrease in water intake or, or anything like that. So a selective effect for, for the alcohol. And we can also see that it prevented relapse of drinking and it also attenuated some withdrawal symptoms. So it showed a lot of those characteristics that you really do want to see um, in, in uh, those models before you can go over to the, to the human face. And uh, now we actually uh, recently now um, published also the clinical results. Anita, do you want to tell a bit about that? Right. So we did what is called a proof of concept study. Um, since uh, Pia mentioned that USU 6162 is uh, actually a new compound, it's not clinically available yet. So in a proof of concept study, you're looking at all the same questions that I mentioned before. Is it safe to use it in, in, in patients? And do we have any effects on the drinking measures? So we did a study where we actually treated patients with USU 6162 for two weeks of, uh, two weeks of treatment time and then looked at, did it reduce craving for alcohol? And what we see in this study is that um, patients who were treated with USU compared to placebo had a reduction in craving for alcohol. And also, interestingly, we see that uh, we actually gave them a standard drink uh, that they could consume in the laboratory under controlled conditions. And there we see 
that after they'd consumed the first sip of alcohol, the patients who had received USU compared to placebo actually showed a reduction in the liking effects of alcohol. And one sub-finding or post-talk finding in this study was uh, the alcohol-dependent patients with high impulsivity actually responded better. They had a, had a higher um, reduction in craving compared to patients who had a low impulsivity. That's also an interesting finding. But again, this is um, a, a, a sub-analysis done in the study and it's preliminary and we need to do larger studies to see what that really means. So how does this OSU 6162 uh, compound work? Yeah, so it's actually a very interesting compound because it uh, can actually increase or decrease the dopamine activity depending on the activity that they actually have in the brain. So in in this patient's population when we have a down-regulated dopamine system, the hypothesis is that, that it can actually increase the dopamine levels and thereby you don't have to drink alcohol because you don't need to drink alcohol to kind of alleviate the dopamine dis- deficiency that we have. Uh, so we now we actually have a recently published study with microdialysis showing support for this hypothesis. And we can actually see that in those rats that have been drinking alcohol for a long time, we determined that they actually do have a decreased dopamine activity in the brain compared to alcohol-naive rats. And we see when we give OSU 6162 in combination with alcohol in these rats, we see exactly that, that we can prevent the uh, decreased dopamine activity that we see when we only give give the alcohol so so kind of counteract the deficiency that we see in the dopamine system in these long-term drinking rats and does this work for other substance uh, abuses or or is it just alcoholism Mm. Um, good question we don't know yet Um, um, we have seen that it actually can decrease sucrose intake um, but we haven't so far done any other studies, but it's it's highly possible because dopamine is involved in, in many other drugs of abuse as well, but most uh, most mm. studies need to be done there. Yeah. And and if you were to compare this to, to other uh, pharmaceutical measures against alcoholism that is today, how does mm. this compound work in relation to them? Mm, there we have done preclinical um, evaluations or comparisons, mm. and there we see that it works... At least, at least as good as what we have on the market today. But I think what is really important to emphasize, considering that it's a dopamine agent, dopamine compound, is that the traditional dopamine compounds that are on the market, they have uh, severe side effects. Okay. Uh, and this compound doesn't have that. It was uh, mildly, very well tolerated. Uh, and we actually didn't see a difference in the side effect reporting between the placebo group and the and the OSU 61 group, oh, okay. 6162 group. Yeah. So, so is it more expensive, or or what's the downside? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's 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 a part of you know deve- pharmaceutical development. So it's uh, it's a new uh, different kind of mechanism of action. So it doesn't completely traditional uh, dopamine agent either block the dopamine system complete completely and that means that i mean dopamine is also involved in move movement for example which means that it also not just block the dopamine activity in the brain reward system system but also in 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 those systems that regulate your movement which means that you get uh, uh, side effects in 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 that sense and this compound is is so totally different in the mechanism of action that it doesn't it gives a mild 
stabilization rather than completely blocking or or stimulation so i think that's the and if i if i can add clinically before we can actually compare this compound to the approved medications of course we have to do an efficacy trial using large patient populations and looking at its effect on different measures like relapse and craving and side effects and also treating the patients for a long time the proof of concept study we've done now at Karolinska is a two week study and uh, treatment longer treatment trials are something between uh, 12 weeks to 24 weeks and after we have results on that of course we also need to understand uh, we have also have many more questions with this compound like mechanistic questions and i think at that point we can have a discussion on whether we can actually compare this with the approved medications so it's it's still very early now i think so so what is the next step what are you what are you doing in the animal phase we want to go back and try to figure out how does it actually work and also with regards to the human results that we saw that we saw again a better effect in those individuals that were uh, highly impulsive then we can also go back in animals and look at uh, impulsivity uh, there to see does it also regulate and improve impu- impulse control and such but trying to figure out where in the brain does it work uh, how does it work to get more more like the basic research questions and i mean clinically obviously the next step would be a larger uh, control trial randomized placebo control trial which is a gold standard for any medication development process and that would be the ideal next step to look at it in um, alcohol dependent patient populations to see whether it actually reduces the drinking and reduces risk of relapse and and craving yeah and when will those take place and when when can we find this on the market and as pia mentioned this is a uh, this is a process which is uh, largely out of our own hands because <laughs> it's uh, also uh, run by a pharmaceutical company um and it's it's a medication development process but pia you know more about that from your collaboration with arvid probably mm. it's 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 very difficult to say but um a lot of studies are done already but more studies longer studies are needed before we can actually yeah, the, the last application to to uh lekemedes vacket uh can be done so that's it out as nita said it's out of our hands so it's our carlson's compound but the the compound is also tested for other other uh, uh conditions in okay. humans because dopamine is involved in so many other other conditions yeah. so um uh, and what are those are those psychiatric disorders or or mm-hmm. the the ones that they have been looking most at is um mental fatigue uh predominantly follow, following stroke and they those studies show promising results and then they've also done uh just a few patients of narcolepsy uh we'd also show promising results so um we um we have our faith in arvid that <laughs> they will be able to 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 pull this further and uh, to get it out on the market as soon as possible they can yeah. but it's it's difficult to to you know i think a lot of people are hoping uh to get something because as as i mentioned it's a large patient group and and, and the treatment that that are available today they are not working for everyone so uh, we all want to <laughs> we work as hard as as quickly and as hard as we can yeah. force you to to say a estimate when they will still be available when would that be is it in one year or is it in in 50 no, years no no it's it's longer but i mean if everything goes really well and uh, the money comes rolling in and we can <laughs> do all those studies that we need um maybe within 5 10 years 
But I think, Pia, isn't it also important to to uh, bring back the point that, I mean, since Usu is still such a novel compound, there are still a lot of important questions that actually you're already pursuing preclinically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those questions are important bef- also to go hand in hand before we test it in humans, uh, the mechanistic questions that you're looking at. So I think the work is ongoing and it will continue. So I think the process is actually, uh, it's on a roll. And when the clinical study happens, it'll only be a complementary to the preclinical part and a necessary part, I think. So I, for me, it feels like the, or at least maybe collectively, it feels that the, the process is uh, continued, that we're not waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else that you want you want to add about this or this subject or your about your research? No, but I think I think it's important. I mean, a, a large part of our job as a researcher is also to to uh, destigmatize this patient population because I think I mentioned in 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 the beginning that um, a lot of these patients patients are not even patients because they don't seek help because they think that it's lack of character uh, or such that they don't they feel ashamed about having having alcohol problems and I think a large part of our job is to actually you know educate the uh, general public that it's actually happening change you, you get changes in the brain it's it's self-inflicted disease because you can't get the disease if if you don't if you don't drink alcohol of course but uh, it's similar similar with a lot of other diseases or disorders that we have I mean, take type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure it's a lot of lifestyles that can that can make you um, develop a, a disease or a disorder, and it's the same thing with alcohol. And I think it's a very important to destigmatize and and uh, educate people what's actually happening in the brain, and that it's actually help out there. Because I mean, of course, as I'm saying now that the medications uh, are not good enough, but it's also, I mean, for some people it do work, and I think it's it's worth trying and it's worth getting into the healthcare system because it can. Just seeking help is a big step to 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 improve your situation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and I don't know when this podcast is going to be released, but <laughs> in context of what Pia is saying, if it's released now, very soon, then I would, uh, want to advertise for October 10th, where it's a mental health run, uh, where people are running to, for the same cause as Pia mentioned, to destigmatize mental illness of all types. So I think if you're hearing this before October 10th, please run, <laughs> run the run for your for your family and for your, for the patients and for yourself, of course. Yeah, and if we manage to get that out there, we'll uh, probably have a link in the description or, or something like that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, a bonus question: Do you drink yourselves? I think it makes you very aware. Of, uh, to answer the question, yes. I do drink and I drink socially if uh, if that's the right way to put it. But I think it also makes you very aware. So you have different kind of discussions with your own children about drinking and the consequences of drinking early, which I would not have considered if I hadn't been in the field, I think. And also when we speak to our friends and uh, and yeah, I think it changes your perspective because you know what happens even with the moderate amount of alcohol consumption and binge drinking and everything. So the awareness really helps in all, not only your own personal lifestyle, but also in what you communicate to your near and dear ones. Yeah, yeah. I can only agree with Nita. We as alcohol researchers get that question a lot. <laughs> and yes, I also drink alcohol, but um, very moderate. I mean, 
Uh, don't get drunk as much as I did during <laughs> my uh, studies <laughs> at Uppsala University. I can say that much, but you know, we are, you you certainly get more aware of 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 the effects that can actually happen. So extremely moderate I am, I would say. Okay, then I have to thank you for for being on the CNS podcast and uh, wish you good luck with the ongoing research. And uh, I hope to have you with me again when you can tell us when this compound is on the market and and doing great, great uh, things for people with these disorders. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, Anders. We hope to be back again.